a lot of the technologies for the big companies and a lot of the small firms, they're not even really interested in adopting that technology. They're not tech people. They're not tech savvy. The result is a lot of that value of technology has not really been passed on to consumers in this industry because a lot of these businesses, they're not very tech savvy. You know, they're not really at a scale where they can invest in software and R&D. With us, I think that's an area where we can bring a lot of value is really modernizing this industry and passing on those benefits to our customers. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Akash Prasad. Akash is the CEO and founder of Design Everest, a one-stop solution to all of your structural and architectural needs. In this episode, he'll tell us how the use of technology enables his company to provide his clients a better quality service with less time and less money. I know I've definitely had issues in the past with structural engineering because the process is so inefficient, so it's refreshing to see someone updating this antiquated profession. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate. Yeah, so my name is Akash Prasad. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Design Everest. And what we do is we're kind of a tech company meets engineering company. So we do building design and engineering, but we're powered by technology. So these are um, residential, you know, single family, multifamily, as well as commercial. So my company has, you know, designed or engineered about 4,000 projects in the last three years, uh, going from home remodels to high-end custom homes to fire rebuilds in, you know, Sonoma County to we've done work on, you know, Oakland Airport from Microsoft, Holiday Inn, Starbucks, Kinko's. So basically, you know, while we, we ourselves are not developing um, real estate per se, we're actively involved with that. We're working with developers, investors, owners, etc. you know, contractors in terms of designing and engineering uh, buildings and, you know, helping get permits so that ultimately the, the contractor, the construction company can, you know, build it. Yeah, that's awesome. How did you guys even get into that business in the first place? For me, the story goes way back. My dad is an experienced structural engineer and his dad, my, my grandfather, he was a civil engineer. So that's run in the family in terms of, you know, some of my cousins are structural engineers. I myself am, am not a structural engineer, but I come from the technology domain. So, you know, I was inspired by what I saw my dad doing growing up, but then my background's in technology. I went to Berkeley, studied electrical engineering and computer science. After that, I helped uh, start a couple of venture-backed uh, technology startups. And then, in you know, in 2016, I was kind of thinking about, hey, you know, I think there's a unique opportunity to bring the two fields together. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of when I started really uh, focusing on Design Everest full-time three years ago. And since then, we've grown and, you know, scaled up quite a bit. Yeah, that's incredible. How big is your team right now? Well, our, our core team is nearing 40 people now. In fact, wow. we just had three people start this week. 
And then we have a large, uh, a large network of you know hundreds of engineers and designers and architects that we work with. So we have kind of our core in-house team, and then we have hundred plus architects and designers and structural engineers and civil engineers that that we work with. So what is the exact product that you are selling to your customers? And who are your customers exactly? Is it the investor themselves? Is it a structural engineering firm or contractors? At the end of the day, the end customer is whoever's you know paying for it, the, the building owner or investor or developer. But we get our business uh, both ways. I mean, from uh, you know, in many cases, it's the it's the investor, developer, or the building owner, whoever's initiating or funding the project, uh, coming to us. But in many cases, it's also like they've hired a contractor, for example, or they've hired an, an architect, and they're bringing the project to us for engineering. So it works both ways. So what are you guys exactly producing? Are they just architectural plans, structural engineering like plans? What we've built is like a, like a one-stop, we call it a design hub. It's a one-stop hub that is powered by software for all these different services, whether it's structural engineering, civil engineering, drafting, 3D rendering, as-built, uh, you know, observations and inspections during construction, kind of all the white-collar work that needs to be done on a project outside of the physical construction. So it's, you can think of it as a one-stop pre-construction shop. But what's um, unique about us, it's, it's a few different things. It's the fact that we're this one-stop hub for all these services, as opposed to, you know, the investor, for example, having to recruit an architect, having to recruit a structural engineer, a civil engineer, a Title 24, and find all those people and manage them and coordinate them and, you know, deal with that whole project management mess. We, we do that. We take care of that. So we're that convenient one-stop shop where you can just come to us and we can kind of do everything. And then we've built a ton of software, like custom software, to make all of this happen and manage all these projects and be very efficient and deliver these projects. That's all custom proprietary software that we've we've built in order to be able to power our business and deliver our projects. You know, that's how we're able to work on like 200 plus projects at any given time, you know, close to 200 projects a month and turn these around pretty quickly from a few weeks to, you know, a couple of months for the vast majority of at least, the, you know, smaller and mid-sized projects that we do. And in terms of how that software helps the customer, it's it's really in the project management and tracking and scheduling, you know, being very efficient. So what that means is the time for the customer from the time that they start the engagement to the time they get the plans and, you know, permits, it's, it's just a lot faster than it would be if they were trying to work with a lot of mom and pop shops that, you know, don't have the software and economies of scale and efficiency where things just, you know, take a lot longer. Yeah, makes sense. Actually, I kind of wanted to, to dive deeper into what you just said. So you mentioned that you are kind of like a combination of the traditional you know, architectural structural engineering company, but also using technology as well. I mean, so is the technology part just that you have your software to, I, I'm kind of confused about that part. What exactly are you, is the you know, software and technology part of this business? Yeah, so we've looked at kind of the whole workflow of, you know, from when the time an engineer or designer, drafter, civil, structural, et cetera, from the time they start a project to the time they finish it, and it's, and even construction, right? And, and we've looked at all the 
steps in that workflow, all the inefficiencies in that workflow. And we've built software to help with all those different steps, whether it's providing support during construction in terms of, you know, the speed of answering a support question during construction from a contractor, or it's keeping the project on, on track, on schedule, or templates for the engineers and architects to use. We've looked at every step of the workflow, even like capturing the existing measurements. You know, there's certain technology that we use there that's pretty pretty new in terms of capturing scans of buildings and you know getting exact measurements quicker and more accurately than how engineers typically do it would just take out a measuring tape. So really try to optimize every step of the workflow through software. One parallel, you know, maybe a lot of the viewers of this uh, podcast, they may be familiar with Compass, which is like a big uh, real estate brokerage that's taking a lot of market share in the uh, realtor industry, in the brokerage industry. And, you know, what they've done is like, yeah, they have all these realtors just like Coldwell Banker or Intero or, you know, some of the companies they've acquired like Pacific Union, but they've built a ton of software for those realtors for every step of the workflow. So for example, in the case of, you know, the parallel of Compass, they're like a tech-enabled real estate brokerage. We're like a tech-enabled, you know, design and engineering company. So the Compass parallel would be, you know, when the realtor is with you, you know, viewing a property, showing you a property, they've got these apps that Compass has built where you can find really accurate comps very quickly and figure out if the price for this house is fair or not, is reasonable or competitive or not, right? So that's like one step of the workflow for realtors. In our case, those parallel steps in the workflow would be when the engineer goes out to capture the existing conditions at the building. The more accurately you capture that using technology, the less discrepancies there are during construction, the less holdups and delays there are during construction from having to change plans in the middle of construction, right? As one specific step of the workflow, but there's also... Other steps of the workflow in, in terms of how they prepare the engineering drawings, how they prepare the engineering calculations. We're working on AI for helping with the engineering as well. That isn't fully developed yet, but that's one of the things that you know we're we're working on developing is like how do you develop AI, for example, doing structural engineering of say a wall removal, right? In terms of doing the calculations and the engineering drawings. Things like that. So each step of the workflow, whether it's actually preparing the drawings and calculations or it's doing a, a structural survey of an existing building or it's providing uh, support during construction or it's scheduling uh, site visits and evaluations and inspections, we've, we've tried to apply technology to, to all of these things. And really, ultimately, what it's about is it's combining um, humans and technology. The output is something that is a lot more efficient and scalable and a better customer experience for our customers, saving them time and money and just getting things done a lot smoother and faster than as, as if it were just, you know, humans in a old school kind of traditional, you know, architecture or engineering firm. So it's, it's really trying to leverage software everywhere that we can to make things more efficient and better and scalable, more correct, you know, et cetera. Um, so I, I think Compass is a, is a good parallel in a different domain is maybe something that, that the viewers here may be already familiar with quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Compass has been really big. They just acquired Alan Pennell, I think a few weeks ago. APR. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Pacific Union. And, and you know, it's, it's a similar, similar model in terms of, you know, they've got the realtors, they're selling the services, but, you know, their edge compared to the tr- traditional brokerages is just all the 
the, the tools and apps and software that they have built for the whole end-to-end customer experience and realtor experience and workflow that really gives them their realtors an edge over a, a traditional mom and pop pro- brokerage, which is everyone else out there. So you can look at us as that parallel within design and engineering. Yeah, that makes sense. So just to clarify, your software and your tools that you're building in-house is mostly to make your own personal process more efficient so you can you know churn out these designs quickly for your customers. Yeah, our process enables our you know designers and engineers and crafters, et cetera. For them, it, it kind of turbocharges them. Just the way, again, with the Compass Parallel, their suite of apps you know, kind of turbocharges their realtors and helps them do their job better. And I wonder, does it ever make sense to try to sell that software? At one point, does it make, make more sense to use that software as a business rather than having it used for yourself? You know, that, that's, that's something that we have uh, definitely thought about. At some point down the road, we may, we may consider it. But I think that my take is that ultimately, people aren't really looking for software. People have a problem. They need that problem solved. And what we want to do is we want to give solutions to our customers. We want to give them ultimately what they need, which is they need a good set of plans that's not going to cost too much to build, that gets done in a competitive time frame and a competitive price and gets is code compliant, gets them the permit, something that you know allows them to make their project successful. That's the solution that they want. And you know, down the road, maybe if we're successful on the AI side, you know, maybe we develop some ultimate AI that can just do all of that. But until then, it's really a combination of uh, humans and, and software. So that's why we're in the business of like we're delivering the solution, right? A good parallel would be if you look at Uber, right? Uber is not just a pure taxi company while they are giving you rides, but they're also not a pure software company. Uber did not just build an app where you can tr- uh, track your ride and make your payment and sell that to taxi companies. The magic happened when the two things came together. The service, the solution that you need, which is I need to get from San Francisco to Berkeley, and the software that allows that to happen. So we, we're kind of looking at it in that same way, which is how do you bring the two together to deliver a superior product and you know service and customer experience? And, and it's really the intersection of the two fields where the magic happens. And going back to my story of kind of how I kind of started working on Design Everest, it's really, you know, the tech background plus my dad being a very experienced engineer and really trying to bring the two together. I think, I think when you bring two fields together, that's where the magic happens as opposed to just being a pure software company or just being a pure traditional engineering company. Absolutely. And so you said you saw your dad working as a structural engineer for a long time and you, he's probably seen so many inefficiencies in it. And you're like, hey, I have this tech background. I know of a way to solve it. Let me help you out. Exactly. I mean, that it was really seeing all the opportunities and efficiencies in his field, having grown up seeing that. And then also seeing that, hey, you know, it is possible to solve a lot of these problems and make this field better with, with software and technology and really trying to, trying to bring the two together. And that's kind of what we're about. That's what we've been doing. And, you know, that's how we've been able to scale, you know, pretty quickly in the last, you know, three years or so. Yeah. Can you give me a case study, like a comparison between traditional methods versus using you guys in terms of cost and turnaround time? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's, I I can give you two really solid examples off the top of my head. The the first one, this is a really good example where we saved the client a, a ton of money. So these are 
building owners, the client here, it's few people who own a pretty large residential building in the Marina District in San Francisco on Beach Street. The building is almost 100 years old. It's one of those Marina mansions, 10, 12,000 square foot plus. And there's there's multiple owners, there's multiple uh, units in the building. So there's different, you know, that's why there's different owners. But the situation there was that they wanted to do a pretty extensive remodel, addition, and, you know, they wanted to have a nice uh, roof deck. They went to a traditional engineering company and they got the engineering done and they paid a lot more money. And the construction costs came to a million dollars and they had sticker shock because their budget, you know, it was like a good, you know, 15% plus over their budget, over like the worst case cost that they had anticipated. So they really had sticker shock once they got that engineering done by that other company, which was one of those traditional old school established engineering firms that, you know, doesn't really use technology that much and has been doing things the same way for, you know, 30 years for the most part. And they brought those plans to us for $20,000 and three weeks, we redid the engineering and saved them $150,000 in three weeks. And they were actually able to proceed with the project with the scope of the remodel addition and roof deck that they wanted. They didn't have to remove anything from the scope. They didn't have to, they didn't have to sacrifice on the design that they wanted. And because of our project delivery method, because of our software, because of how we value engineer, you know, how we pay attention to the construction cost, we were able to really reduce the the cost of the uh, construction and save them a ton of money. It was a really good ROI for them. They put $20,000 in and they saved $150,000 three weeks later. And more so than, you know, the clients were pretty rich. I mean, it wasn't necessarily just about money. It was the fact that they could actually pull off the intention of the project and the design that they wanted. And the architect, in that case, it was an architecture firm in in uh, you know in, in the Soma district in San Francisco, and you know they're really in a modern design and they're kind of one of the you know leading architecture firms in in San Francisco. And they were really happy that because of our work, we could actually make that project uh, a reality, as opposed to them having to you know, sacrifice on the design in order to make it work in the budget. So that that's like a good example of where we can save on construction cost. So just to clarify on that one, it's the same contractor. It's just because you guys went in and did a better, you know, quote, better job at structural engineering using your software methods or just your, you know, better company, you're able to save the money. Oh yeah. It's the same contractor building it. It's the same architect and the same design ultimately, but through the engineering and you know, the sizing of different methods and the structural systems that were used and the amount of material that would require and, you know, do, designing engineering things in a way so that it is more practical and easier for the contractor to build it, which again, saves you material cost and labor cost. That's what ultimately results in the cost reduction. And in this case, the other structural engineer, do you happen to know how long they took to do their, their plans and how much did they charge their client? I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I remember a timeline. They'd taken months. They had taken almost six months to do the engineering, a lot of back and forth. And as far as cost, I don't remember the exact cost, but I do know it was quite a bit more than what we had charged. I would not be surprised if it was in the thirty to fifty thousand dollar range. You know, after the client had already paid that engineering company, they paid another twenty thousand dollars for us to basically redo it and. Granted, you know, part of why we were able to do it that quickly for such a decent sized building was because, you know, that other company had already done a lot of the work. We didn't have to exactly start from scratch. Like we could really optimize it. So that helped in terms of the timeline. But still, 
I do remember that they had taken like almost six months to do it. As far as cost, I don't remember the exact figure, but it was definitely a lot more than, than our price. So at the end of the day, the client was like, oh, we should have just found you guys at the beginning and you know, saved like several months in our project. Absolutely. So if you were to just do it from scratch, what do you think the cost and timeline would be for that? Well, you know, in, in those cases, we, the cost would have been roughly the same ballpark. Because even when we're redoing it, ultimately we're responsible for the whole project, making sure everything's correct, everything meets code. So we're even though it's like, well, they already did some work and we're optimizing it, at the end of the day, we're taking liability and responsibility for the whole thing. We have to check everything, make sure everything works. We have to run our own calculations. So the price would have been roughly in the ballpark the same. But as far as turnaround time, and if we're doing everything from scratch, maybe it would have been four to six weeks. Wait, you mean the same as in it would be 20 grand? It would be the same price as the other social engineering company? Uh, no, 20, 20, 20 grand, our, our same price. But the timeline would have been, you know, for starting from scratch, maybe, you know, on a project like that, we would take four to six weeks. In this case, because there was some legwork already done by that other company, we were able to do it in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting that you got into a social engineering field. What were those other tech companies that you helped create? Very different. The first one was uh, online education, basically teaching people how to code, like programming online. Uh, that was venture backed. Uh, that was that was a long time ago. That was like end of 2011, start of 2012. And then the second company also venture backed. Um, it was an enterprise software company for HR software. So it was like a platform for for actually evaluating enge- software engineers. It's like a platform that you can use. Call, uh, called Litmus that you can use to assess and evaluate software engineers and see how well they code. So it's coming from a totally different domain, right? A totally different space of education. But I, I think, you know, Design Everest really caught my interest because it was like, you know, it's it's in my blood, it's in my family, my dad, his, you know, his dad. It's, it's been running in the family. And I felt like I was in this unique position where I could combine these two fields and really try to do something much more innovative than what I saw kind of the, the traditional firms in this industry doing where, you know, they're very low in their technology ad- adoption, forget creating their own software, right? Even just adopting software that's out there, they're, they're very, you know, slow at that adoption. And it's, it's kind of an industry where people are really set in their ways and they're used to doing things. You know, we have some clients who are architects who are like, 70 something years old and for the last 45 years they've been hand drawing plans and even today in 2019 they are hand drawing plans in fact they come to us with their hand drawn plans and we digitize it for them so you know this is an industry that is very archaic and and you know that's why we're we're really trying to uh apply and build not just apply but really build tools and software to help kind of modernize it it's funny because i feel like we have pretty similar backgrounds. I'm a double E major, but I went to UCLA and I've stumbled into the real estate field because I enjoy real estate. My dad has been a broker for the past 20 plus years. Yeah. And you're right. There's so many opportunities out there for technology and real estate. Uh, I've been personally trying to find out that intersection where I can provide value. I haven't really figured that out yet. What kind of tips do you have for someone who wants to start a technology business in real estate? I think the biggest thing is, you know, what, what really helped us was that as we started, you know, as we as we were just doing engineering projects, we didn't necessarily start off with the focus of, hey, how do we build technology? We started off 
hey, let's do projects and let's see what are the pain points, what are the issues, what are the problem areas, what are the inefficiencies? And then that naturally led to the identification of, hey, here are opportunities. And then once you know what the problems are, you don't have to be an amazing technologist to come up with a solution. I mean, most people today are pretty tech savvy, especially here in, in the Bay Area. So you don't have to be like some genius or whiz kid or you know, a technologist to necessarily come up with the solutions. But once you know what the problem is, it's a lot easier to brainstorm, hey, how can we help with this problem, even partly solve it or fully solve it and you know, with, with software or technology. So I think the biggest thing is not starting with the technology. I think a mistake that a lot of people do is they start with the technology. I'll give you an example. Obviously, up until a year back, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was a huge, huge fad, right? A huge deal. Well, whether people call it a fad or not, that's you know, everyone has their opinion on it. But but the thing is, at the end of the day, a lot of those those projects didn't work out. And they took they had taken it with the approach of, oh, here's this fancy new technology. You know, how can I find a use for it? That's like a very much a crapshoot. I mean, once in a once in a hundred times, you might find some interesting real world application of the technology. Although today, I can't think of one company that's actually affecting my life with blockchain, right? So I, I can't name one company that's delivered a meaningful product or service or value to me using blockchain. But there's all these people who are super excited about blockchain technology, right? That's like one way to do it. But I think what works better is when you don't start with the technology. And you start with what are the actual problems? Like if you were to look at real estate, you were to maybe to look at your dad's um, business or his brokerage and, you know, what are some of the real world problems that he actually faces or that you faced in real estate or, or your viewers face as investors or developers or realtors or, you know, people who own real estate or manage real estate. Once you identify the problem, coming up with the solutions a lot easier, I think the mistake you know, a lot of people do is they kind of start with the solution and they try to work their way into a problem. And then you have to kind of win the lottery because you're, you're working backwards. If you start with the problem, it's a lot easier to come up with the solution. And then you don't have to guess if there's demand for that solution or not, because if you know that this problem exists and your solution actually solves that problem, there is demand because other people are facing that problem. If you start with the solution and try to identify a problem, that problem may not exist or you may not find that problem or it may not be a big enough problem for anyone to care about or pay for. Yeah, that's some really good advice. So basically just do it, find out what the inefficiencies are and then solve it. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they really focus on ideas. You know, they really focus on, hey, you've, you know, you know, I don't have a startup. I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't have a startup idea. I don't have an idea for a project or something to build. I think that's the wrong way to, it's not about ideas. Once you start doing, you start learning, you start getting data and that data tells you, you know, what the opportunities are. That's your edge over other people. So, as you, so if you're sitting in an armchair or an ivory tower, then, you know, you better hope that you're a lottery winner. But when you're actually going out and doing things and you're learning and experiencing and getting data, you don't have to be a genius anymore. You're seeing firsthand, you know, what is needed in the world, in that industry, in that profession, in that space, however you want to look at it. Once you know what the problems are, you know, what the opportunities are, I like to see them as opportunities as opposed to problems, but, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. And then, you know, that's where you can think of, hey, what is, uh, you know, what is a way that I can help solve this problem? And and, and if, when you start with problems, then you start with like real problems 
th those are those are the problems that are ultimately going to be valuable to solve because those are the problems that where other people will probably have that problem too. If you can solve a problem, that's where, for example, businesses are willing to pay for things because you're solving a problem that they have. Have you ever had that, I guess, fear that, man, this problem exists and you go online and there's 10 versions of that product already kind of available, but you know, like, it's like, yes, this problem has been solved with technology, but you could probably do it better. Yeah. And th that's going to be often the case. I mean, it's very rare that you invent something totally brand new that no one, you know, none of the 8 billion other people have thought of. That's just not going to happen. And if you take that approach, then, you know, there was no logic in starting Snapchat. There was no logic in starting Facebook. There was no logic. There was definitely no logic in starting Google when there were a hundred other search engines doing pretty well, right? So it's not about like, hey, other people are doing this or not. In fact, if other people are doing it, it just means that it is a big enough problem that other people are seeing it too and trying to solve it. So then it's more about, you know, can you execute better? Whether it's you're developing a better product or you're executing better in the sales and marketing or, you know, distribution of that product or the monetization of that product. It's, again, not always even about having the best product. It's ultimately it's about execution across all areas of the business, whether it's product or it's sales or it's marketing or it's finance or it's risk management. You know, ultimately, it's about execution. So you may see that, hey, there's 10 other companies that have tried, you know, that are trying to do this. But if you believe that for some reason you can out-execute them, maybe you have a better solution, maybe you feel they're, they're missing something or they're not, they don't have the right go-to-market or distribution strategy, right? Um, then you have some edge and, and you have, you know, and the fact that there are 10 other companies doing that, it means that there's demand. If there weren't demand, those 10 other companies would not exist. So that also assures you that there is already demand for what you want to do. Yep, that's very true. So how are you able to grow Design Everest so quickly? Yeah, as far as kind of scaling up, I mean, it's, it's really been a few things. It's been a really sharp focus on, you know, the quality of the team, the people we, you know, we hire. And when we hire, it's not so much about, hey, this person went to Stanford or Berkeley or UCLA or MIT. You know, it's about how well they can execute you know, what their track record has been in executing, whether it's been in a professional environment or academic environment, because ultimately you need people who are going to do the hard work and heavy lifting, the attention to detail to build up your company, whether it's HR or it's finance or it's engineering or it's software or it's design or marketing or sales, whatever it is, you need people who can execute in their respective areas very well. So, so it's not really about, you know, how long is their resume, what brands are on their resume, it's about has this person proven that they can they can execute because that's what's ultimately going to help you in building the company. So definitely the the people and the focus on quality of execution and culture that's really important. And then besides that, it's been a lot of focus on metrics, really trying to instrument every area of the business and have key metrics around every every area of the business because if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So you have to keep measuring every area of the business, whether it's engineering or customer sat or sales or finance or legal recruiting you have to measure every area of the business they have to keep improving that's what you know serves as a north star for each of those teams those team leads those you know the, the, the team members in their respective functions is you have to the more you kind of turn things into into, into clear metrics then people know people understand what matters and what to focus on when you don't have the metrics then it's just a matter of opinion. 
And then, you know, five smart people, five equally smart people are going to have five different opinions and who's right, who's wrong. It may just come out to who speaks the loudest, right? Or who's been at the company the longest. Those are all the wrong, all, all the wrong reasons, right? But when you have the metrics, it doesn't matter which employee, you know, how new or how junior or how senior they are. It's about like who has the best ideas to drive the metrics in the right direction. As long as you have the right instrumentation and framework of metrics, it, that helps a lot in focusing people. So hiring people with the right culture fit, the right attitude, the right growth mindset, and really the focus on execution combined with the right metrics that give them the direction on what's the North Star, uh, that helps a lot. And then all the software and IP we've developed, you know, that's, that's what has allowed us to scale up and do so many projects. In one month, the volume of projects that traditional engineering companies may do in years yeah, exactly. Because you do what, 200 or so a month? We're nearing 200 a month now. Yeah. And what about traditional firms? What do they usually do? A few. Yeah, right. Probably like five at most. Yeah, they do a few projects a month. And, you know, in, in one year, they might not even do what we do in a month. And, and that's because we're trying to create something scalable. We're not trying to be a traditional engineering consultancy. That's not interesting to me. We're trying to create something scalable. So, so I think just how we're building the business, our approach, our ambition, everything is very different from the traditional engineering company where maybe an engineer had worked somewhere for 20 years, decided to go out on his own, hire a couple engineers, set up a small office, and it's just kind of a lifestyle business for them. You know, that's not really what we're trying to do. Yeah. So with your method, you can do more and faster and cheaper. And I think the most exciting thing is we can innovate. Like we're always, the culture that we have is we're always looking at how can you do something better how can you do it faster? How can you do it more efficiently? How do you use data? How do you use software? You know, we survey our customers a lot. We're always collecting their feedback and trying to look at what, you know, how we can keep optimizing and doing better. It's, it's really that culture of continuous improvement. I think that's what has been one of the biggest things for us, whether it's our salespeople or our engineers or our legal team or our finance team or our HR team or operations team or, you know, what project management, whatever team it is. There's this continual focus on improvement. They're always looking at what can I do better every day, every week, every month, every quarter. And that culturally, that's what allows us to keep improving at everything we do. And ultimately, all of that translates into more value for the end customer. And so you have so many different clients and so many different projects. What areas do you actually service? So, so right now we're all over California. We've done everything from fire rebuilds in far-flung areas in Mendocino County, where they had one of the big fires last year and also in a big forest fires end of 2017, you know, two projects far down south as San Diego. Although our key markets are really the Bay Area metro and the LA metro, you know, with the density of real estate and population density, that's where the vast majority of our projects are. But you know, we did nine houses in Mammoth Lakes. We did fire rebuilds in Redding and Shasta and Mendocino. We've done, you know, in the Bay Area, we've done everything from houses and remodels and additions to custom homes in Atherton to renovation in Terminal 1 at Oakland International Airport. In fact, if you uh, go to Oakland Airport Terminal 1, there's this really nice Kaiser branded green wall. So we did the engineering for that, for example. We've done brand new hotels. We've done several Starbucks in LA. We've done, you know, just, just a number of residential, single family, multifamily, as well, well as commercial projects all over the state. And our focus is really on small and mid-sized projects. We're not trying to do Salesforce Tower. We're not trying to do a $2 billion airport project. You know, there's enough 
big engineering firms where that's all they do and you know let them fight with each other over those projects we're trying to kind of democratize and help everyone else not just the the mega projects and the mega customers we're trying to help everyone else which is your ordinary joe your homeowner your investor who flips houses the developer the family office that you know has few generations of real estate and constantly needs renovations or new buildings or additions and retrofits so we're trying to help everyone else we're not trying to do the mega projects for salesforce and sfo airport and you know city hall we're trying to be the answer for everyone else we're really trying to democratize some of the benefits that those mega projects get from these huge engineering companies to everyone else because for everyone else you know they can't go to bechtel right Bechtel is like the largest engineering company. It's like a $30 billion company. But all they do is like mining and oil and gas and dams, Hoover Dam and, you know, stuff like that. Um, they don't help your average Joe. They don't help the person who wants to flip houses. They don't help the person who wants to build a apartment, you know, re- retrofit their apartment building or do a soft story retrofit in San Francisco. So if you're everyone else, if you're like 99% of people with projects, you're going to these kind of outdated uh, mom and pop shops where they're doing things the same way, maybe even hand drawing plans and doing the same the things the same way that they were doing 30 years ago. Even though there is technology out there in the market, a lot of the technologies for the big companies and a lot of the small firms, they're not even really interested in adopting that technology. They're not tech people. They're not tech savvy. The result is a lot of that value of technology has not really been passed on to consumers in this industry because a lot of these businesses, they're not very tech savvy. You know, they're not really at a scale where they can invest in software and R&D. With us, kind of if we're successful long term, then I think that's an area where we can bring a lot of value is really modernizing this industry and passing on those benefits to our customers. So I was wondering also, since you guys work in so many different territories, isn't it pretty like, cumbersome? Because I think every city has their own different like rules, setback laws, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No. So so we have a presence all over California. We have engineers, architects, designers, drafters, you know, civil, structural, tile, all over the state, and local, local to all the different areas where we do projects. But there, there's a couple of things beyond that. So on one side, yeah, we're all over the state. On the other side, we're also local in each region. But more so than that, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. When it comes to the building codes, everything's kind of based off of the California building code, which changes every three years. So right now, the cycle that we are in is the CBC 2016, California Building Code 2016, which was rolled out officially in January 2017. Now, again, in 2020, seven months from now, there's going to be the next cycle of the building code. That is standardized at a state level. Now, each city, each county, each you know building department, they have some tweaks. But at the end of the day, physics is physics. Engineering is engineering. Architecture is architecture. Yes, you have to look up, hey, here's some of the specific requirements for Atherton. Here's some of the specific requirements for San Francisco. But, you know, ultimately, they're all in the same seismic zone. You're looking at the seismic cones. Everything is based ultimately on the California building code. So it's not that different, you know, city to city as people think. A lot of the fundamentals are the same. Again, whether the earthquake is in LA or the earthquake is in Atherton, physics is physics. Lateral forces are lateral forces. Gravity is gravity. They're both built out of wood or steel or concrete. None of that changes. Some of the setbacks might change. Some of the zoning requirements might change, right? So obviously the 
you know, architects and engineers, they're paying attention to the local tweaks on the building code for each jurisdiction. You know, ultimately what we do is we work with the client all the way up until permit approval. We've gotten every single project we've done, we've gotten the permit approved. The city comes back with comments, which, you know, they do, that's their job. Otherwise the plan checkers wouldn't have a job. We address them all the way until they're satisfied and the permit's approved. And we even help, you know, the contractors during construction in terms of answering any questions or clarifications they may need. So ultimately, the basics are the same. That's regulated at a state level. Now, if you're talking about California versus New York, then the fundamentals are going to be different. You know, in New York, you're designing buildings like in Manhattan for wind. In Florida, you're designing buildings for hurricanes. On the West Coast, whether you're in California, Oregon, Washington, or even British Columbia or Alaska, you're designing for earthquakes, right? So those basics are the same. But then obviously, you know, we're paying attention to the local jurisdiction's requirements. One of the advantages we have on the data side is because we've done so many projects, we have the data on what are the things that the plan checkers look for in that specific jurisdiction. When you're doing an addition in Oakland versus a custom house in Atherton versus a apartment soft story retrofit in San Francisco, we've done enough of those projects where we know this is what the plan checkers look for in that specific jurisdiction. So that cycles back, turns into a feedback cycle back into our engineering and QA process as well. So that helps. So on one side, yes, it's very local to each jurisdiction, but on the other side, the, the basics and fundamentals are, are very much the same throughout the state and with some tweaks in each jurisdiction. Nice. I was wondering, how are clients finding you guys? Yeah, at this point, you know, we have a lot of existing uh, relationships and clients where they keep bringing repeat business. So that's most of our business. But, you know, a lot of referrals, uh, repeat business, that's, that's really the, the, the bulk of it. And right now we're just in California, you know, within each region in California, we've got enough uh, partners that we work with, you know, customers that we've already done projects for. Like, let's say it's a construction company, an architecture firm, a developer, investor, where, you know, they're regularly doing projects, right? Like, for example, like with a homeowner, they might have one project in 10 years or in their lifetime. Right. Most people don't have multiple houses or if they do, they build a house. It might be once in their lifetime. If they do a you know remodel or addition, again, it might be like once in a lifetime or once in a decade, they might be doing it. So when we're working with construction companies, investors, developers, they're obviously in that business. And so they, they have projects all the time where they need our help. Kind of after we've worked with a number of them, you know, they're able to keep sending us projects. You know, they're happy with the service with the results and they're able to keep sending us projects. So, so that's kind of the bulk of it. And what's next for you guys? What's next is just growing. It's that continual improvement mindset, improving every area of the business every day, every week, every month, every quarter, and just getting to the ultimate perfection that we can in our execution. That's really, you know, what our focus is on, you know, making sure our customers are as happy and satisfied as possible that we're executing as well as possible growing in California. And then, you know, we'll be getting into other states as well. But our focus is very much on California right now and just, just nailing it in California. Great. And what are some final words that you have for our guests? I think, you know, given that the audience is, you know, a lot of people who are interested in real estate or doing projects, I think one thing is that what surprises a lot of people, especially people who are kind of new, new to doing projects, to developing or, you know, flipping houses or, adding or remodeling or building new you know buildings 
I think one thing that surprises a lot of uh, people who are new to it is is just that how how much difference good design and engineering can make. Like that example I gave where we got the construction cost down from a million to eight fifty, you know that that's pretty substantial. I mean, if if you're doing a flip, right? You had bought that building and you're doing this project in order to add value to it and sell it, that construction cost difference of 850 versus a million will make a significant dent in your ROI on the project, right? So a lot of the, the people who are new to it, they may just think, oh, you know, I just need a set of plans. I just need a permit. You know, there, there's enough people out there who would do that, but it, you know, getting that done well makes a significant, significant impact, not just your project timeline, not just the timeline of getting the permit, not just how smoothly construction goes, but in how much your construction costs, because at the end of the day, the construction is like, 90, 95% of your cost, right? Yeah, you have to pay the city fees and all that stuff. But in terms of the actual, whether you're developing a new building, a new house or apartment building or commercial space, or you're doing a renovation or addition, whatever upgrade you're doing, 90 plus percent of your actual cash outlay is going to be on construction. Just like with anything in life, if you invest in good planning, that's going to optimize construction, which is the bulk of your cost. And the planning is the design and engineering. That's what's guiding the contractor in terms of what materials and labor and steps they have to take. That's like your IKEA manual of how you're building the furniture, right? That's how you're building the house or the the, the building. The better that is done, the better your construction goes. And that's where you're spending most of your money. That's the thing to optimize. Again, you know, maybe someone does the plans cheaper. Well, in that case, they also did it more expensive and the construction costs were more expensive. But let's say even if that other company had done the engineering cheaper. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're getting a $150,000 higher construction cost, that you're better off investing, not seeing the plans as a cost, but as an investment in order to get a better ROI on your project. Yeah, very well said. So how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, they can uh, go to our website, www.designeverest.com or Google us. You know, you can shoot me an email personally, akash at designeverest.com, A-A-K-A-S-H at designeverest.com. I encourage you to check out our website because we just launched a new website this last weekend. And it's, it's um, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the work that we did in designing this new website. And, you know, it's I really like the design and just the content and everything. I think it's a beautiful website. So I highly recommend people check it out. And I really appreciate any feedback on the website because we just launched it. We just did this complete redesign like five days ago. Oh, congratulations. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. I'd love love to get your feedback on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and giving us all this advice about your company and letting us know about structural engineering. Yeah. All right. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. You don't create a business by sitting in your ivory tower and creating solutions. You need to try the professions first, see where there are inefficiencies, then see if you can use tech to make it better. You need to measure every part of the business to see where you can keep improving. And by using technology, you're able to do way more jobs at a higher quality and at a lower cost. If you're looking for structural engineering or architectural work, contact Akash's team at designeverest.com. You can find the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Hope you all learned a lot. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. 
That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.